1: Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Another exciting topic today, we're going to talk about millennials and this generation and how the church has uh, responded to young people today with different challenges, much different challenges that many of us had growing up and in our society, our ever-changing high-tech society. We'll get to that And a new guest today, and a pretty good book I had a chance to go through. I think you guys are going to find this very informative and provocative. Father in heaven, thank you for just waking us up today. Uh, Wherever we are in this country, in this world, as Christians, believers in Jesus, we know that we have a purpose today. Your mercies are new every morning, and you give us a reason to live, and that is to point people to the truth of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the honor and the privilege and for choosing us to go and bear fruit. Um, we praise you, Lord. It's a great work that we have to do, but we know that we can do it because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We lift up this hour to you, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide this conversation and that you would have your way, that you would encourage who needs encouragement, that you would challenge. Those who need to be challenged, maybe in their faith, maybe to get off the bench and into the game. And, uh, Lord, encourage us where spiritual warfare is involved, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Thank you, God, for the work that you're doing in the realm of the Spirit. We know you're always moving, and we pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, for a revival. We pray for repentance in this nation. And most of us are believing it's got to start with the church. That's where we come in. We thank you, God, for your mercy, and we thank you again for this day. We lift up this time to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the topic Millennials. Uh oh. (laughs) It seems the very mention of the word draws equally passionate and polarized responses from people of all ages. Labels such as the unreachable generation, the me, me, me generation, the worst generation. It's no wonder that our young people are the most notorious this world has ever seen. But beneath the surface, crises linger, which drive an individual to wonder what is really going on within the minds of today's youth. Suicide rates among this age group have escalated to an all-time high, while drug and alcohol abuse-related conditions have become top-reported killers. Simultaneously, this populace is leaving the church in droves, while the New Age, Wicca, and Islam, and even moral relativism are growing in popularity. The book we're going to talk about today is called Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox Why the Unreachables May Be Key to the Next Generation. So, are millennials really the narcissistic, self centered, entitled, entitled, and lazy collective that they are accused of being, or is there a deeper problem? Lurking, which creates division between this generation and those previous? Are young people of today truly the worst the world has ever seen, or has our modern church maybe missed the opportunity to reach the most cause-oriented activist generation in the history of the world? Today's guest, Allie Anderson Henson, is an author and credentialed private investigator and oversees the research arm of Skywatch TV and Defender Publishing. Her exploratory works have appeared in numerous books, documentaries, magazines, and television specials. Her new book, as I mentioned, Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox, probes deeply into the issues of modern society's young adult population, and it reveals some shocking reasons that they are leaving the church today. Allie anderson Hansen, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
1: It's uh, a blessing that you take the time uh, to be with us this morning. And yeah, I know you're over in Missouri. Um, are you uh, an hour behind? Is it 8 o'clock there?
2: No, we're on the same time. Same time, it's, central time. Yep it's, yep, it's 9 o'clock here. So
1: All right. I actually love Missouri. Um, I've been there uh, a couple times, several times. We spent a lot of time there in the, in the 80s. I know that kind of dates me. But um, it, I really like the people there. We really enjoyed our time as we toured through the state. And, um, yeah, so I, I appreciate it. Did you grow up there? Have you always been from there? Did you move to Missouri?
2: Actually, um, I relocated to Missouri in 2007. I actually um, am from the northwest, uh, from Oregon, really. Okay. And so I, the, the culture here is much different than yes. where I came from. I grew <laughs> yes. up uh, really— uh, mostly around Portland, Oregon. Wow. And so it's it's quite a quite a bit different there than it is here. Um there was a little bit of culture shock in the beginning, but mm-hmm. not not really so much because what we were looking for was a different kind of lifestyle for our kids. Mm-hmm. And so because we were looking for this kind of a culture, there wasn't too much culture shock in the transition. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, I would say it's slightly different the uh, Pacific Northwest compared to the midwest and uh missouri uh values. Um first of all before we get into the book tell us a little bit about Skywatch TV and the Defender Conference that you're involved with.
2: Okay, well, Defender Conference it's it's um it's on it's online you can look it up. It's the it's the Defender and Skywatch uh 2020 conference. It's um, theme is to the, is to stand and um, it's at the Chateau on the Lake um, which is uh, in Branson. It's one of the premier resorts, um, really, in the country. And we have a lot of really great guests coming. We've got um, we've got Mike Huckabee, we've got Pat Boone, we've got uh, Rab- Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, we've got Alveda King, um, and Tom Horn is going to speak. He hasn't spoken uh, live in a very long time. And he's going to speak, and I, I don't truly... I don't know what he's going to say. He has a a mysterious message that he's saying is an urgent message. He's he's not giving anybody any insight ahead of time. None of us, even the closest ones to him, we don't know what he's going to say. And he's he's saying that this will be the final time that he speaks, and this is his urgent message. And this is such a. I'm I'm not sure if it's because of this message or for other reasons, but there will be no streaming to this con- to this conference. Um, there will be no live streaming. And so whatever is going to be said will be said in that room. And mm. like I said, truthfully, those of us who are closest to him, don't have a clue <laughs> what wow. is getting ready to happen no, nothing's so, leaked out really yet holding out on us
1: <laughs> yeah well we have uh, i see that pa- pa- pastor carl gallops is going to be there he's going to yes. be on our program next week uh, he's been a regular here at stand up for the truth um for those of our listeners who are not familiar with who tom horn is would you describe him and his background
2: well, Tom Horn uh, is my dad, also. So I can. I, can I didn't know one. that. <laughs> All right. So even, yes. wait a
1: minute, wait a minute. So even his daughter doesn't know what's, what he's going to be talking about.
2: It, that's the truth. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, we don't know. Um, yeah, so so Tom Horn was an ordained uh, minister in the Assemblies of God for more than two decades, uh, began writing books. That became Defender Publishing. Um, that has grown into Skywatch TV, and he's the CEO of the entire operation here. And um, and in addition to that, his wife, Nita, who is my mother, um her passion has always been horses, and they now run a therapy ranch oh, for cool. um, children within the foster kid, uh, foster system. Yes, foster children get summer camp for free, and um, they all they have to do is, um, is 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 show up. I mean, they have pre registrations and things like that that happen through their social workers. Um, but but the Royal Family Kids program runs these. Um, summer camps that bring foster children in, and so these children are here for a week. The animals minister to them. The staff ministers to them. Some of our other operations actually shut down so that our staff can go and be there to serve these kids, and, and it's all free of charge, mm. um, and that's that's really his... His, uh, his heartbeat, both wow. of them, is, is making sure these kids are ministered to. It's a, it's a quick side tangent, but I'll tell you that a very large percentage of people who are within the prison system and other areas of the criminal justice system and even some, some places within the welfare systems, um, a large percentage of these people are, came from the foster system. So if we can intervene on a foster child level, we could change society as a whole. And so that's the goal.
1: Wow, there's so many questions I have just based on what you just <laughs> shared. But one of them is, I, and thank you, Holy Spirit. I He's leading this interview. Um, I read something about Whispering Ponies Ranch. There's something up here in the Green Bay, Wisconsin area that they it's a, a horse uh, therapy program, and it not only helps abused or neglected or aging horses, but uh, young people, disadvantaged teens and children, could could you tell us a little bit more about Whispering Ponies Ranch and how people can get information on that?
2: Sure. Um, well, I- any of our websites, um, defenderpublishing.com, will pretty much point to skywatchtv.com. But skywatchtv.com, Skywatch TV Store. we have some programs like um, Sponsor a Pony, which is basically where people can look at the different ponies and if they choose to sponsor one, it's basically a donation system that goes directly to the camp and its operations and the kids, like I said, they they um, sometimes they get to drive the ponies. and The ponies are miniature horses; they're not big horses. Aww. They're very little; they're the size of a large dog. And so they they get to do paint a pony, which is this. Um, I don't know if you ever saw hair chalk. That was kind of a trend um, several years ago. But anyway, it, it, it's it's kind of a body chalk, and they can they can chalk these horses and paint them. They literally look like a My Little Pony. They can have rainbows painted on them or whatever, you know. And it's it's completely safe for the horses. But the kids get to customize their little ponies. They get to drive them in a cart. Sometimes they get a little driver's license for being a pony driver. Um, But what it really is, is these children, a lot of them have been so severely abused. And by the way, Mm -hmm. we've got Jakob coming to the uh, conference in 2020 as well. And he is a huge outspoken activist for uh, dealing with the human trafficking problem that's going on right now. Wow, excellent. Um and so so many yes, so many of these children have been so severely abused that they when they show up they can't even they won't even speak to you. They're scared of you. You're an adult and you're mm-hmm. a stranger and all they've known for a lot of them is that adults hurt me. You know what I'm saying? And so they're, they're taken to a place where they're made to feel safe. They're given food. You wouldn't believe how these kids respond to simple food. We have had kids literally jump up and down clapping and saying comments like, we're being fed like we're kings, all over a bowl of fruit. I mean these these children a lot of them have just really suffered and so they get where they they can eat as much as they need to eat and there's no need to hoard food they're taken to where there's an animal and an animal has no alternative uh, ulterior motive an animal doesn't care to, to take anything from you. They just want you to be nice to them and love them, and if you love on them, they love on you. It's like the simplest form of love. So where adults in these children's lives have broken their ability to believe in a Heavenly Father who loves them unconditionally and made them in His image, an animal is able to reconnect that line to the heart of a child, that there mm-hmm. is something that exists on this earth that represents pure, essential, unconditional love, that has no ulterior motive, and that is 100% pure. And like the Bible says, can cast away fear. And so, as these children begin to open up to these animals, they begin to realize that the adults around them are safe as well. Mm. It's completely healing. And by the end of the week, most of them are crying and don't want to leave, which is very hard for our staff.
1: <laughs> wow, what a phenomenal it's an amazing
2: experience! Yes, it
1: sounds like a phenomenal program. And, and uh, program, I love things like that. It does so much good. Uh, that kind of therapy with animals and um, children just eat it up. And what what a blessing. Thank you. I'm glad we g- had the chance to talk a little bit about that. Um, you mentioned the Defender Conference. Uh, tell us about Defender Publishing.
2: Okay. Well, Defender Publishing, um, we, we publish basically all of the publishing end of Skywatch TV. Uh, all of the written publications mm-hmm. that Skywatch TV puts out come through Defender Publishing. And um, and Defender Publishing started out as Anomalous Publishing. And it's re- It's funny because I remember Defender Publishing actually started when I was about 14 years old because I remember my dad on a little keyboard typewriter <laughs> typing out his first manuscript. And it was like if he had to make a change, he had to retype. The rest of that chapter, because it threw the pages off, you know? Oh, my Remember goodness. Remember back when you put in one sheet? Uh-huh. Yes. That's the, that's the roots of Defender Publishing. <laughs> but today we publish the works of, um, of a lot of authors, and many of our authors are in-house. We have Derek Gilbert. We have Josh Peck. We have Sharon Gilbert. We have Joe Horn. Um, we have uh, Donna Howell and, of course, myself, um, and we have Tom Horn um and we have many 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 others i i with Carl Gallup, he's one of them i couldn't i couldn't even name them all but it's definitely grown from humble beginnings and like i said it has um it has grown into now a few years back when we decided to launch Skywatch TV so it's gone from one little typewriter in my dad's pastoral office to <laughs> what it is now on wow. tv and everything and we're getting ready to launch more new things so um Stay tuned. (laughs) Well,
1: we're looking forward to keeping up with that, and I hope you uh, keep us up to speed. We'll have to have you on again to talk about some of these new things coming up. But I want to get back. Before we talk about Millennial Paradox, your new book, Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox, you are a credentialed private investigator. Um, How long? When did you decide to go that route and get uh, credentialed and become a private investigator, and how has that helped you through the years and some of the uh, investigative reporting you've done?
2: Well, it should be specified that being a private investigator is slightly different than being a detective. Some people, when they hear that I am a credentialed pr- private investigator, they think that means that I'm a detective that works with the police force and these are different things. Mm-hmm. A private investigator is trained on how to um, how to research very thoroughly, how to spot sources that are maybe not um, not completely trustworthy, and also how to how to report on a very trustworthy Level, You know, a lot of news is reported with bias, and it makes it very difficult to weed through and yes. find the truth. And so <laughs> that, and, you know, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of, you know, reading historical documents and reading, uh, you know, right now I'm doing... Um, I'm doing some research for a different book, and I'm reading a lot of um, a, a lot of doctors' a doctors' reports, and you know, you read your experimental reports with abstracts. It's a lot of reading, really, more than it is being out. You know, st- you don't stake out people's houses as a private investigator. It's a different <laughs> kind of work, but I love it. Um, several years ago, when I first began my work with researching here at Defender Publishing, it was just one of those things that right away I thought this would be um, very beneficial to my work. And um, so I presented the idea to Tom and he said, "Yeah, definitely go for it." And so that's um so I went through schooling for that and then decided that I loved school and continued my schooling and I'm still in school and I don't know. Still. I i love being in school forever. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're a lifetime <laughs> so, student then.
2: I uh, maybe. It's well, fun. Well, I like shouldn't, it. Well shouldn't <laughs> we all be
1: though when it comes to the Bible? Shouldn't we all be c- just continually growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as uh, Peter writes.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I currently am studying, is Bible and theology. Um, I just, you know, with with the work I'm doing, I want to write from experience, I want to write from opinion, but more than anything, I want to make sure anything I have to say is qualified to line up with Scripture.
1: Amen. So. Truth. Um, we're talking with Allie Anderson, and her book is Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox. Um, Allie, the subtitle says, "Why the Unreachables may be key to the next great Awakening. How did it come to be that this subject in this book was a top priority for you to write?
2: Well, I was on a business trip with Joe Horn, Tom Horn, and Donna Howell, and um now. Tom is one of these people that when you work for him you're almost wrapping up one project and he's sending you information on the next. <laughs> and and so I was getting ready for this business trip that we were about to head out on and my email box had been filling up with all these messages from Tom saying read this article, read this article, another email, read these articles. And I was so busy getting ready for the trip out of town that I did not read those articles because I said to myself I'm going to get through this trip and when I get back I'll come and look at all these articles and see what it is that we're doing next. Sometimes that's how I find out in real time. And um and so we were on so now we were on the trip and it was the first night we were at our hotel and we went and got dinner and while we were at um while we were at dinner he said, did you read the articles I've been sending you? And I said, no, I've been busy getting ready for this trip. I have not had time to read the articles. And he said, well, I want you to read those articles, and I want you to tell me what you think. Well, so that kind of turned into this conversation where he started telling me some of the statistics. Now, I went later and looked these statistics up and did some extensive research on them, and I will tell you that um, these statistics were alarming. Um and some of them just broke my heart. And they were statistics about the millennial generation,
3: mm.
2: things that are taking place within this and, and, and conflicting messages. So let me, if you don't mind me jumping ahead a little bit, let me just um, tell you some of these statistics. Suicide is now the second highest killer in people ages 15 to 24 years old. That means the only thing that ranks higher than suicide is car accidents and since these are novice drivers the car accident mm. per- percentage would naturally be higher within this age range so what we're talking about is an extremely inflated statistic It's yes. par- not inflated in that it is being misrepresented but inflated in that it is disproportionate to the age 15 to 24 years old it's the second highest killer is suicide and in addition to that 160,000 within this same age range each year, are being hospitalized for self-inflicted wounds, meaning that they tried and weren't, weren't successful. Yes. Or else maybe that second highest rank would have made it all the way to first. Um, you know, in 2016 alone, 64,000 people ages 15 to 35 died of drug overdose of illegal drugs. But here is a t- statistic that really, really, really hit me. And it just, I couldn't, I, in a profound way. When I was a teenager, HIV was the big scare, Mm -hmm. and everybody was doing all this stuff, talking about safe sex and just really trying to attack the whole, make sure you're avoiding HIV. Um, Now, HIV has been replaced as the sixth highest killer of people ages 25 to 44 years old. It has been replaced by cirrhosis of the liver pertaining specifically to alcohol abuse. Now, I don't know if you've ever known anybody who had cirrhosis of the liver pertaining to alcohol abuse, but these are these are older people. Mm-hmm. It takes years to get cirrhosis of the liver, yes. specifically related to alcohol abuse, not, not some other chronic illness. So we're talking about people who, by the time they are aged 25 to 44 years old, they've been self-medicating with alcohol for so many years that their liver won't even properly function anymore. How young do they start self-medicating with alcohol to have cirrhosis by the time they are 25? So when you look at that, and then you also look at some of the other statistics. So for example, 59% of the millennials raised in church have left. Um, In the meantime, the, the religions that are on the rise are New Age, Satanism, Wicca, Islam. We're not talking about an atheistic generation of people who are denouncing all spirituality. It's actually a very spiritual generation, but they're leaving the Church. And these other statistics tell me they are in a vast amount of pain. So why? What is the Church missing here? And how do we get these kids back? Because they're, because they're one way or another, whether it's purposeful or accidentally, they're killing themselves, giving up on life, giving up on the regular standard, you know, Christian church as you and I know it. And they're searching everywhere, but they're clearly not finding answers. This breaks my heart.
3: Mm.
1: Allie, perfect time to take a break. There's so much to talk about when we come back. The book is Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox. When we come back with Allie Anderson, the communication gap between older people and millennials, and also the real reasons millennials are leaving the church. That's next on Stand Up For The Truth.
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. With David Fiorazzo,
1: our guest today, Allie Anderson Henson, talking about the book "Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox." And Allie, we were talking about the generation gap before we took a break, and describe the communication gap between older people and millennials, and uh, just the fact that they are dealing with a lot of things that w- many of us never had to deal with growing up.
2: Well, the communication gap is really, I think, the heartbeat of the book. It would be hard to truncate the entire thing here and now, but I'll try. Um, I'll begin by just reminding you the labels that some of the older people have stuck on the younger people, the me, me, me generation, the worst generation, narcissistic, entitled, lazy, overinflated sense of self, and even calling them unreachable, which, you know, when we believe that Jesus died for every human being— we can't call someone else unreachable. It's not our call to make. And so that, one, that one's probably my biggest um, pet peeve on that list. But other labels that they are also wearing that we should be taking note of are that they are the most abandoned, the most isolated, the loneliest generation, most anxious, most perfectionist, most depressed. Mm. Um, you know, when you look at these things, and as the statistics and things we've already talked about, it's obvious that there is a generation gap. Those two sets of labels, to me, speak generation gap. When you have the older people saying, well, these kids are narcissistic and they're just me, me, me. And really, other people are saying, hold on a minute. This is the loneliest generation. Right. This is the most abandoned. Only 37% of this generation was raised with both parents in the home. And most of those families had both parents working. So these mm. children were grown up in a very isolated yes, setting. yes. And uh, when you add, when you add the digital interface, which we can get into if you want to. um, Well, yeah, because you mentioned,
1: I'm sorry, Allie, you mentioned lonely and isolated. And and, I mean, that is one of the fruits of social media that they've grown up with.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and it's more than that. See, as and I'll, I'll <laughs> quickly as I can, as the brain, as the child grows, the brain develops and this interpersonal interactions and the social nuances and the emotional well-being is all born out of caretaking beginning at the very beginning of life. And so when you have children who are left to their own devices, and I use that with a pun intended, you know, they're, they're very isolated. They're very alone. They're missing out on the ability to learn to connect with other people. So as they get older, you know, we're all made in the image of God. We were all made with the intention that we would commune with each other and with God. And so when you have a person as they grow older, there's this lingering sense that something's missing, but because they've never known it, they can't articulate it. They only know that their computer, their laptop, their TV, their tablet, it's not meeting that need. And social media is a cruel, cruel facade because it pretends to meet that need, but all it does is show you all the little happy snippets of other people's lives, which make you think you're missing out on even more than you really are, and you're already feeling a deficit, if that makes sense. Um, You know, if you think about an average child spends... This is the average child from two to six years old spends 32 hours per week watching TV. Now there have been some very reliable clinical studies that have shown that children under about the age of three can't identify with what's taking place on a screen. So if you put a child that young in front of a screen for 32 hours a week, and you uh, you could be a well-meaning parent, you don't know this is what's taking place, but the bottom line is you're seeing people interact and you're you're seeing a plot line. The kid is just seeing what to you or me might look like a screensaver or a lava lamp it's not causing any kind of interpersonal growth or any kind of a moral lesson and even if they get what's going on on tv they're not going to get a moral lesson Um, and so this is just long periods of isolation and the child is too young to articulate what's missing. And they don't understand what's not being able to fully develop, but it's that ability to emotionally connect with other people is stunted by such a large amount of digital interface. And this this has been going on now for probably 25 or 30 years. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am a guilty one because i have a son who's almost 24 and i let him watch way too much tv (laughs) when he was little i didn't know so this isn't me dropping a hammer on someone else this is me saying hey everybody guess what we've been doing we've got to stop you know we've got to turn the tv off and interact with our children so that's one of the things that's taken place but then in the midst of all this think about the revolution of philosophy over the last 200 years but primarily the last 50 you have a situation where the moral majority shifted from things that were hinged within the biblical laws of God and has become uh really just kind of the the, the party scene of postmodernism. Mm-hmm. And and so you have this situation where Before you had people who were grounded in what they believed was a truth and these were unspoken, nuanced type truths that went throughout the community. It was like a network of understanding at the bottom of the community that held everybody together. Now those fibers have been removed and we are in a place where each individual gets to pick or choose his or her own truth and that's the absolute truth for them. Well, I can I can respect that you know this is America and people have the right to choose what they believe and I'm thankful for that because I get to be a Christian so yes. I'm thankful for that but what that did was it further disintegrated that st- that underlying interconnecting fiber that held communities together. Mm. So you have communities that have been disintegrated from their, from their moral construct. You have families that have been disintegrated from that whole familial construct. Then you have this identity crisis, which is taking place by and large across this entire generation, and it's very confusing because part of our search for identity is the need to connect with other people and to feel our place in our community. Mm-hmm. It's it's being it's being made to feel like you have value. It's being made to feel like you perform something that only you can do just the way you do it. You're vital. You're part of the heartbeat. And and when that's removed, it causes a person to kind of flounder and say, "I what's my identity?" Well, then you have all these people coming in and saying, "Well, your identity is anything you choose." And instead <laughs> of allowing them to ground this identity from the inside out. And I'm not just I'm not just talking about the the commonly referred to identity politics. I'm talking about lack of identity that can go all the way to well, my grandpa was a criminal, my dad was a criminal. I guess I'm going to be a criminal too. That's all I can ever be. It's it's misplaced identity that goes all the way to the root of a soul where a person doesn't even recognize their own potential. And again, they don't know they were made in the image of God. So. You, you, these are these are several different things that are happening that that have really caused confusion, um, and that's not even to talk about the fact that we have divisive uh, divisive language that we use that pulls yeah. people apart. You know, the word community. If you say I need community, people are going to say, Well, then go out your door and meet your neighbor. That's not what people are talking about. Your community. When they're saying I, I am looking for community, they're not looking for geography. They're looking again for that underlying fiber that connects the whole community as as an actual populace of united people with a united function. And so the loss of community and, and language that makes people say, hey, I'm looking for this, and other people hear something completely different. It makes it hard for the young to articulate what they need. And in the meantime, the older crowd is saying, we don't get you. You guys all have attitude problems. And this is just it's it's escalating. Do you see what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely, and thank you for clarifying that. That's uh, some of that I'm sure came from uh, chapter 3 in your book, The Identity Crisis. And you also mentioned or you alluded to uh, chapter 4, Digital Orphans, a generation raised by technology. When you're talking about community and how we all need community, I one of the first things I think of Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 42. They were all gathered together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to communion, or breaking of bread, and to prayer. And they kept making disciples and, and, and growing in their community. They were all together. They were ministering together, fellowshipping, eating together. And that is a sense, to me, of one of the truest forms of community. Um, I did want to ask you, though, let's jump down to a little later in your book because we're uh, more than halfway through the interview here. Um, in Chapter 7, it's what millennials really, really want. And I know there's a lot in there. I know they do want a sense of community. They really want that question answered, who am I? So would you like to share a little bit about what that chapter is and get to the bottom of what do they want? I know they're struggling with identity and other things. So, uh, Allie, would you uh, share with that? Share with us.
3: Your sure,
2: sure. Uh, it, it's, um, it's funny that you just, um, you just mentioned something that kind of made me want to jump to this anyway. <laughs> what, they, what they want, if you look at what they're asking the church for, you know, you mentioned in Acts the gathering together. Um, I'm going to tell you something. This generation can drop ship or stream anything they want straight to their living room. Mm-hmm. If it's about wanting stuff or programs, they, can, they don't have to leave their house. And it's, it's, been, it's been recently stated by some of the younger generation members who are more vocal that going to church is no longer the cool thing to do. So if you have a generation who has no reason to leave their living room and going to church is no longer cool, when they show up at your church, you can be assured they are specifically looking for interpersonal interaction. There's nothing that is that is where it all begins, because they can have anything else they want without coming to church. So mm. w- what it is, is it's it's the it's the personal connection. It's the open communication. And if you look at what they're asking for, they're alluding to that. But the issue is, I think sometimes they have a hard time articulating what it is they're asking for. So, for example, some of their um, some of their their requests to the church seem contradictory because they say they want a church that speaks the truth and tackles the tough issues, but they also say they want a church that will stop condemning the culture around them. Well, what are they really asking for? They are asking for a church that is willing to rightly divide the word of truth with them, hmm. look for the answers together, but then say it in love. They don't they don't want to hear Um, all of the hellfire and brimstone of previous generations. And I know that's offensive to some of the older people, and for that I'm sorry, but the bottom line is, if we want them to come back to church, it's going to take a mentorship approach rather than this other hardline approach. However, that means we we find a radical new delivery of the truth, but we do not compromise the truth. I'm not for one second saying, sugarcoat what Scripture says. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, love the person enough that when you tell them the truth they can handle the application of truth because you've loved them enough that they understand they that they are cared for regardless of whether or not the truth that comes from scripture at this point in time completely aligns with their life because if you can change their heart their lifestyle will follow
1: absolutely absolutely well let's talk about truth for a minute Allie. and by the way if you just tuned in to stand up for the truth we're speaking with Ali Anderson-Henson. Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox is the book, and uh, we are talking about identity. We're talking about going through, talking about a community, what millennials have struggled with, the different generations, uh, the gap that th- exists. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, they have almost accepted it's not a fact. It's this idea that there are no moral absolutes, and you can kind of make up your own truth or live by Your truth because that's kind of what society that's the direction of our culture and society so the church has to be very careful we need to preach and teach the whole counsel of God and yes we absolutely need to speak the truth in love but a lot of these young people today and Millennials and younger from Hollywood media the the entertainment industry from what they're seeing in the public square they're not getting absolutes. They're not getting binary. They're getting anything else, and anything goes. I would love for you to speak to that topic.
2: It's very, very tough, because on one hand, you're saying, in a way, you know, that the Church needs to be as alluring as the world to try to get these kids to come back, and we have a lot to compete with, because we do have absolutes, and a lot of the world does not. That is really, really tough. But, um, you know, what I will say is, these kids are allowed to go anywhere, to pursue happiness. It's literally
3: and they society do society
2: accepts anything and they do. Mm-hmm. But look at look at what they are doing with their energies. They are the most activist generation. They they are looking for a church that will enact the parable of the sheep and the goats. Mm. They want a church who's feeding the hungry, who's clothing the naked. This is what they want to see. Now they can pursue everything else in the world, but the bottom line is I'm you and I both know that leaves you empty. At the end of the day, you're still not happy. So you might think that what it takes to be happy is that anything goes, I can do whatever I want. But, see, the problem is, and the Western culture is really bad about this, we we think that in pursuing our own happiness, we are going to find happiness. And it doesn't work that way because we are made in the image of God and we were wired for community with each other and with God. And so we we can pursue our own desires all we want, but at the end of the day it leaves us isolated, alone, lonely, unfulfilled. If we will provide a loving setting for these kids, and I, you know I can't speak to every single church what this is going to look like mm-hmm. because each community has different populations of kids doing different things, and it's going to be very difficult to draw lines in your church and still remain loving and i this is this is a very tough conundrum each congregation is going to have to answer this question prayerfully amongst themselves but what i do know is jesus loved unconditionally people chose to do things because of the love the life changing love that he showed them they chose a much harder path than their peers were experiencing You know what I'm saying? Yes. So at the end of the day, love is a greater motivator than the satisfaction of the self. Mm. And I'll tell you something else. You know, Proverbs says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Unfortunately, the word used there is old, which means we may not see this turn around right away they might be old. <laughs> we might be planting seeds in our lifetime, and we may not be here to see the harvest. Yes. Because there's a long time between training up a child when he is young and when he is old. There's so many decades there. I don't know how fast this turns around. But I know that if you love like Jesus, people who followed Jesus sacrificed everything because what they saw in him was so compelling, it wasn't worth selfish, lustful desires anymore.
3: Hmm.
1: Allie, um, are you able to spend a couple more minutes with us? We need to take a break. Or-
2: I am. I have okay. to give the office to Josh at 10. <laughs> okay, okay.
1: Well, uh, we, we, I'd love to spend about five or ten more minutes with you. Absolutely. Um, just talking about how we can effectively reach, as you described, the most cause-oriented activist generation pretty much in history without uh, leading them down a social justice Path. We want them on a biblical path. More with Allie Anderson. The book is Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox. When we come back. Thank you
0: for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com/podcast. Now back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: Our guest is Allie Anderson. The book Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox. She uh, agreed to spend a little bit more time with us because there's just so much more to talk about. How can we reach? Millennials and those that are even younger; these are the most cause-oriented activist people, possibly in the history of the world, as you point out, Allie. And we need to reach them. We need to get them back somehow. We need to reinforce their foundation of truth. And those who had no foundation growing up, um, they're on shifting sand, and they're going with the ways of the world, conforming to the world as some of the you know their parents did. Um, so how I know there's a lot, it's, this is loaded as far as the solutions, but how can we help them and bring them back, not necessarily to the Church, but to the truth of Jesus Christ?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I will say is that, you know, Church congregations need to talk, and they need to talk honestly with each other. Um, you know, and unfortunately, This is a little bit of a side note, but unfortunately I've seen churches who say they want to grow, but ultimately when they begin to grow... It's sabotaged from within because they have members who don't want to see that growth,
3: whether Mm. they're
2: willing to admit that or not. And it's sad, but it's true. So first of all, your congregation needs to have very open and honest conversations about this. Um, and if you look at what they're asking for, what the millennials are asking for, we have these repeated themes of community, of mentorship, you know, of, of finding a purpose in a place where they can belong. They're looking to belong. Mm. So what they, what they will need when they begin to come to your church is they need to be embraced and they need to be uh, loved and accepted. That does not mean that you have to say the things they're doing in their life is okay and that God agrees with it, but they do need to feel loved. Um, and that's that's vital. Um, you know, one of the things um, that I will say is that, as, again, they can they can drop ship anything to their living room if they if they show up at your church it's because they're looking that's for right interpersonal inter interaction they're looking for community mentorship relationship they're looking for a place to learn what is right and to learn their true identity as it pertains to a place where they belong and um you know when they when they become frustrated with the Church, I think it's because they think that the Church is paying them lip service, you know, trying to make everything modern, but there's nothing real. Hmm. There's something that I call, um, I call it the Christian motive, for lack of a better phrase, but it's the thing that well-meaning Christians do, and I've had people in my life do this to me, and I love them and I appreciate them. So this is not a dig. But (laughs) they they, they get this agenda in the back of their head. They meet someone and they think, oh, poor her, she needs to get into church. And then their mission becomes, let's get her into church. Let's be nice to her five times, and the sixth time we see her, we're going to go in for the kill and say, hey, come to church with me. And because we were nice to her, hopefully she'll say yes. You just got to get rid of that thinking altogether, and you just need to be real every day with the people that you meet. Show the love of Jesus, whether they ever come to church with you or not, Mm -hmm. whether you ever even get the opportunity to invite them to church. Be kind to them. Let them know that God loves them. They may ask you about church if they see enough of God's love in you. You know what I'm saying? Rather than working out of this agenda of getting a person into church as though that's the destination. Because once Mm -hmm. they get there, They've got a long road ahead of them. Getting them there is not the end game result. Getting them to understand who they are in Christ.
1: Yes, yes. As a
2: born again, baptized believer who is satisfied with making that decision, who's a part of the community and the kingdom of God, that's the end game result here. That's what we're going for. Thank you. Not getting someone into church.
1: Thank you. I'm glad you clarified that and let me jump on to that. I don't know, call this piggybacking, but. There are some churches I would not want young people to go to. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're trying to be like the world to attract the world. That's not going to get you anywhere. We need right. to tr- get them to Jesus, and we and if that takes our own personal time individually, what we as individuals can do. That's what discipleship is. It's yes. taking the time, caring enough, loving enough to spend the time to make sure. These kids or whoever you happen to be in a relationship with discipling are building their foundation on a truth, on a God that cannot be shaken, and and on a on a hope that can never perish or fade away or can it cannot be taken from them. Because if they put their hopes in worldly things, and that's what a lot of churches, unfortunately, Allie, and I'm sure you've experienced this, I'm guessing that you've visited other churches or maybe have spoken at other churches, and we see some of the for lack of a better word, uh, tactics. <laughs> Try. How do we attract? Mm-hmm. It's all about the church growth movement, yes. and that's that's not going to necessarily. It might grow your numbers, but is right. that taking you back to the heart of the gospel and the foundation we have as believers and and our our saints being equipped in a lot of these churches? And and unfortunately, the answer is no. I would love for you to talk about that fine line with what you were just describing and loving them enough to say. Just just be authentic, sincere believers in Christ that cares for them whether you get them to your church or not. I would love for you to—that's that's a line, and once you cross that line, some people take it a little bit too far. Just come to my church. Just come to my church. Well, that's not exactly always the answer, is it?
2: No, no. It's, it's a matter of investing in people from the heart to the heart. And that becomes mentorship. And then when they begin to ask you scriptural questions, that becomes discipleship. And what are these kids asking for? Community, mentorship, discipleship. We have to get real with them and we have to connect up with them on their level. This may mean helping them fix their car. This may mean babysitting for somebody so she can keep her job that she works nights. You know, I mean, this, this could be inconvenient warning this might be a real drag <laughs> for people who you know what i'm saying yes. for people who want to keep their life really convenient but life for us here was never meant to be convenient we have a job to do and we're supposed to be doing our job and if if we will get out and love people on their level take care of them emotionally and psychologically and even physically, you know, who do you know whose 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 kid needs school supplies? That's what I said last year at, at the last conference. Who do you? It's August. I said, who do you know that needs school supplies? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the simple Practical this things. This parable of the sheep and the goats enacted in modern day time. Mm. Do that. Yes. It becomes community. It becomes mentorship. It becomes discipleship. That's how we reach these people for reals.
1: Yes. And as you mentioned, I think before we took our our break. Um, you said we sometimes we just have to remember that we are planting seeds and we might not see the fruit of that maybe in our lifetime or maybe within the relationship with the person that we're um, pouring into as Christ would want us to pour into other people and and uh, help encourage other people that we might not see the fruit Of what we put into them but we need to be dedicated enough and and led by the Holy Spirit I think you brought up another point I want to paraphrase a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer he said we must always be ready to be willing to be interrupted by God (laughs) that means those divine appointments in our lives that means allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and then to act on that to move you and uh, you know I would uh, I'm sure you'd agree um Ally that a lot of us need to be moved sometimes off of that off the bench and into the game because we get so busy and so distracted. So before we wrap things up here, I would love for you to to speak to maybe the busy parent right now, busy moms or people that are just going how I know that just sounds like a lot of work to do. I know we should do it because we're Christians. Ally, give us some practical suggestions to encourage people, those are listening right now, how we can really help this younger generation?
2: Well, it begins exactly where you are, exactly where you are. Look around you. This isn't you having, I mean, you're busy, you have your job, you have your, ki- your kids and your life. Believe me, I know I'm doing it all the time, and it is a lot. Our culture races from place to place, yeah. but it begins yeah. where you are. It begins with the lady checking out your groceries when you're buying them. Mm. It's the guy who, yes. you know, changed your changed your flat when you called AAA because you were on the side of the road. It, it, it's these people. They mm. are the ones God put in your path. This is not packing a suitcase and going off to Africa. It is for a select few people, mm-hmm. but yes. for the rest of us,
3: Good it's point. home.
2: It's right here. It's your neighbor. Look around and just live in a way that spreads God's love in the very field where you're standing, So seeds exactly where you are starting now today, in a half an hour from now when you're at Starbucks getting your coffee. It starts then. It starts right now. <laughs> it's that simple.
1: Mm. I, I, amen. Amen. Let's, let's be just willing to be led by the Holy Spirit and look for those divine appointments. And friends, if you pray, God, send me someone I can minister to. That is a prayer that he will always answer. Send me someone that I can point to you, Jesus. Chances are it will happen before you know it. I'm Allie Anderson, the book is Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox. Thanks, thank you so much for taking the extra time with us this morning on Stand Up for the Truth.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was really an honor.
1: Same here, Allie. God bless you. Keep up the good work.
2: You too. Thank you.
1: All right. Uh, so much, so much to talk about when it comes to how God uses each one of us in our sphere of influence. We might think that, well, I'm, I'm with my family. So many hours. I'm at my job, eight hours a day, or wherever you work. Remember those moments in between. Remember when you're stopping, like she said, at the grocery store, stopping to get gas wherever you might be there's someone that needs the love of Christ and they need to see that other people care you know that we started off the interview talking about the suicide rates that are skyrocketing i couldn't believe the percentages especially among the younger generation they need hope but they also need to see that people are authentic and love them enough to care to just reach out so when we come back there's a, we'll talk about about uh, tomorrow's program but uh, some new guests next week and we'll do that in just a minute
0: Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media, Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth.
1: All right, another just uh, exciting new guest. Um, Next week we have several more. I'm just uh, really thankful. First of all, tomorrow we've got there's so my my desk there's piles of news stories and papers and headlines and things that have happened in the last week or two. We've got to get to those. So tomorrow it's news and views, Christian commentary, always from a biblical perspective, looking at what's happening around us. Um, So we'll talk about all those things tomorrow. Monday, are you familiar with the website gotquestions.org? What a phenomenal resource. Well, we have Shay Hoodman. From Got Questions, so if you got questions, Monday will be a good one. You can text, text in or uh, email comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Any question, no topic off limits. Monday, Shay Hoodman with Got Questions. Next Tuesday, Heidi Saint John, Mom Strong. She has a website, The Busy Mom. Well, uh, we'll talk about uh, so many things that moms deal with. Um, Wednesday and Dr. Andy Woods, Carl Gallops. We mentioned him at the Defender Conference. He's going to be our guest next Thursday, finally. Glad to get him back. He is so busy. So we booked him for next week, and Jay Siegert as well. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you for sharing our podcast. Remember, social media and some of these, Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, they're not really Christian-friendly, so they kind of censor some of our content. You probably are not surprised by that. So we need you to share the podcast so people in your sphere of influence can see it, and if the topic interests them, they can click on it and hopefully share it. That's how it works. Thank you for getting the word out. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.